You could be seated. I was supposed to come up faster than that and I got into it. <laughs> Anybody with me on that? Totally forgot that it's my gig was next. I'm so glad you're here today though. If you have a Bible, meet me in James chapter 5 if we haven't met yet. My name is Pastor Mitch. I get the joy of being one of your pastors here at Redeemer City Church and we kind of have made it a thing over the past few years. Thank you. That was definitely going to fall. We've made it a kind of a thing the past few years to start uh, a new year fresh in church, kind of taking a little bit of a deep breath. You know, you're going to hear all over everything about the goals you should make, the paths you should take, the things you should do. And what I want you to hear from your church is something totally different, that there is an anchor for your soul. His name is Jesus and he invites you to rest. Amen. Amen. The early church father, Ignatius, this will be on the screen for you, wrote these words somewhere around 100 AD. He said, let no one deceive himself. If anyone is not within the altar, he is deprived of the bread of God. I just want to leave that up for a minute. I just want you to ponder that. I want you to let that seep through the pores of your soul. And don't be deceived this morning with all of the many messages that you hear. Many of them good. Don't hear me say that setting goals is bad or any of that. I, I'm, I'm not anti any of that. I'll have my own. But I do want to say that rising out of that to the top of your new year is the invitation to be within the altar, to be within the presence of God, not deprived of the bread of God, within the altar. Think about it, from the beginning of creation, God created a people, a humanity, in His image and likeness to be with Him. To majorly simplify our time this morning, I just want to say that sin broke that relationship with Him. And from that point forward in the Old Testament, the high priest would have to go into the Holy of Holies one time a year to be in the presence of God on behalf of the people. And then, what we just walked through, incarnation happened. Advent happened. Jesus came to earth. God with us. Emmanuel happened. Jesus came to earth and won back through his death and resurrection our direct access to the Father. And made a way for us to be right with God and therefore open up the altar. What is Ignatius talking about? The fact that we have unfettered access in all of our issues and all of our problems and all of our sin and all of our wins and all of our everything all that makes you who you are this new year access to your father in heaven what an amazing thing you and i free access within the altar. If anyone is not within the altar, 
Make no mistake, you are deprived of the bread of God. Deprived because, listen to this, any Jew living at 100 AD or earlier when Christ rose from the dead knew or experienced our apathy and our indifference to the access we have within the altar of God, they'd be blown away. They'd be shocked by the fact that we are not blown away by our access to the throne room of grace. And I don't say that to you to make you feel guilty this morning. I say that to kind of woo us back and remind us as we start a new year that if you get nothing else done this year, the fact that you can walk into the presence of God without a high priest because you have a great high priest whose name is Jesus, you have all the riches and glory that you need. Amen. We know that to be true, but it's, it's difficult for us to wrap our heads around that because we are such a self-sufficient culture. It's difficult and it's difficult for me, but prayer is one of the access points we have to the altar. Prayer is a place to be with God. It's not just a place where we lob our requests at God, but it's a place where we go be with God. In our culture, in this post-secular age we live in, we can be guilty even unknowingly, I know I can at times, of reducing down the kingdom to concrete activities, performances, or just one aspect of what it means to follow Jesus, like just evangelism or just discipleship or all the things that the church people talk about. But prayer... Prayer is that most intimate place, that most intimate space where we get to spend time with God. Paul the Apostle said in Romans chapter 14, verse 17, these words, The kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and what? Come on, church. Joy in the Holy Spirit, who you cannot see, but you for sure can experience. That is the kingdom of God. It's a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. As Ignatius pointed out, we're after a wholly different kind of bread. (laughs) Not the eating and drinking, but the bread of God. What is the bread of God? Great question. Thanks for asking. John chapter 6, verse 32 to 35 says this, Jesus speaking said to them, very truly I tell you. You ever wonder why Jesus had to say that to us? Like, very truly. It's just the way we are. You know, it's like our kids, like, you won't believe it. Very truly. Not just truly. Very truly. We should probably pay attention when Jesus says very. It's not Moses who has given you bread of heaven. Which, think about it. Think back to the old Bible story when you were a kid. Maybe you didn't get it, but there's an Old Testament story where the children of Israel, because of their sin, because of their own choices, are wandering around in the desert. And God is trying to teach them to rely on him, to trust him, to look to him for their provision. And so one of the things that he does is he sends literal bread from heaven called manna. 
And it's God providing for his people. And so when they get to this time in Jesus, they would have known that story. The people sitting around Jesus would have known that story. And he said, no, no, no. It's not Moses' bread from heaven, but it is my Father who gives you the true bread from heaven. Here it is. For the bread of God is the bread that comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Sir, (laughs) sir, they said, always give us this bread. (laughs) Let me get some of that. Always give us this bread. And then Jesus declared, verse 35, that famous line, I am the bread of life. I am wearing a sweatshirt that says the vision is Jesus because that is the thing. Always give us this bread. (laughs) I am the bread of life. I am the vision of your life. I am the vision for their future. I am the vision for your finances. I am the vision for your kids. I am the vision for all that makes life because I am the true bread of heaven and I am the one who gives life to the world. Don't get mistaken. Some of us in this room, we've literally had conversations in the last two weeks about how fragile life is. And how quickly those things can be snatched from us. And as this new year starts, just a reorienting back to the fact that Jesus is the bread of life. Come down from heaven to give life to the world. To give life to us. Look at this promise. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry. And whoever comes to me will never be thirsty. In case you're wondering how serious Jesus is about this in the church, you go to Matthew chapter 21 verse 3 and Jesus is in the middle of driving people out of church, out of the temple with a whip. And he says these words. This is why every January I feel really convicted to start every year in 21 days of prayer as a church because of this statement. Jesus says this in Matthew 21 3. My house will be, this is why he's driving people out with a whip who aren't doing this. My house will be a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Jesus is the bread of God. We are a people who come together, we gather every single Sunday for every Sunday of our life to worship Jesus, to be vision up people, to love God because he first loved us, to be transformed into his image, to be his people, to then look with him and serve our city the way that he would, not because we're able to, but because he's able to. This is our vocation. So listen, if I can get your vision up this morning, if I can get you reacquainted with the transcendent one, Jesus, everything else will follow this year. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added. And he talked about a lot of things in the Sermon on the Mount, a lot of things. But seek first There is a first. There's always a first. (laughs) 
And usually everything else follows the first. So, enter prayer. Jesus desires that his house be a house of prayer. We come and posture ourselves, quiet our souls, and tune the frequency of our mind and heart to his presence. Jesus modeled this. He modeled this for us in the way he chose to live his life. Let's go back to another early church father, somewhere in the 200s AD, made these comments. Bishop Cyprian, it'll be on the screen for you. He said this, not by words alone, but also by deeds has God taught us to pray. He himself prayed frequently. He himself prayed frequently and demonstrated that we, what we ought to do by the testimony of his example. But if he who was without sin prayed, come on, understatement of the year, how much more ought sinners to pray? And if he prayed continually watching through the whole night with uninterrupted petitions, how much more ought we to lie awake at night continuing in prayer? Another pastor, John Tyson, commenting on these particular words that Cyprian made. He said this, there's a gap for many Christ followers when it comes to prayer. We know we, come on, should pray. (laughs) We know we should pray. And therein lies the problem. The gap lies between should and must. For many, prayer is in the should category and not the must category. Tyson goes on to say that the problem with that is that we have, listen, we have a theology that's different from the world, but our lives often end up looking the same. I think if you would ask the average person who doesn't go to church if they needed some help from outside of themselves, they would say yes. It's kind of the human experience. Should or must. So let's think more about Jesus because the point is not to make you feel guilty today. (laughs) Let's think about Jesus. Let's think about Jesus' rhythm. He obviously did a lot of things. He changed the world even. And let's grant ourselves that he was God. I get it. But in his rhythm, when we look at scripture, he has a rhythm. And I want to put this picture on the screen for you so you can see this cycle. His rhythm in scripture was to engage to withdraw, and to refill. And if you're going to set some goals this year, I want—I don't normally even invite you to set goals because that's not my thing. But this year I do want to invite you to set a goal. To create this rhythm in your life. To follow Jesus. To engage in what he's put in front of you. I often think about Martin Luther when they asked him, like, what does it look like to be a good Christian? And he said, make good shoes. What was he saying? Whatever God's put in front of you, do that and do it on his behalf. The Apostle Paul said, we're his ambassadors. God making his appeal to the earth through you. So the fact that you are somewhere this week that I am not is so important to the gospel going into all the earth. Do what you do for Jesus. Engage. But after you engage, can I just suggest that you withdraw? That you aren't Jesus? That you won't save the world? That He's very capable? Do what He's put in front of you. And then withdraw. And refill. 
It's so important. Jesus did it. Some of you are really, really challenged me over this last year to be outside more, to be in nature, to see his creation, to do the things, to feel small. Engage with what he's called you to, but withdraw and refill. We call it rest. So important. I don't know who said it, but I'm sure you've heard it, that Jesus went a lot of places, but he chose to walk there. Right? I don't know who said that, but it's really good. (laughs) All right, I've said a lot. But let me ask you a question. What does all that I just said have to do with your anxiety? What does it have to do with your cancer diagnosis? What does it have to do with your sin that you chose to commit this morning or yesterday or the day before? What does it have to do with going back to school? Come on, middle schoolers. Can I get an amen? You're like, no, I will not amen that in church. (laughs) I rebuke that spirit. (laughs) You have to go to school, sorry. What does all of this have to do with the troubles of life, the cares of life? I want to take you to the brother of Jesus as we kind of wind our time down and then we're going to kick off our 21 days of prayer at the communion table. We're going to pray. But I want you to know why. All of those things were high and lofty things and they're true and they're right and they're good. But when you come to the book of James and specifically at the end of it, James, Jesus' brother, lays out Just some really practical reasons why we even engage in prayer. If you go to James chapter 5, it'll be on the screen for you if you don't have it. But I asked you to meet me in James for this reason. Because what does praying have to do with your actual circumstances? Look at what James says in James chapter 5 verse 13. He's writing to Christians. He's writing to people living their faith. Just like you and I are in a city called Jerusalem and then scattered all around the known world. He writes this letter and he says this, Is anyone among you suffering? Many of you sitting here, many of you watching online, you could say, yeah, I'm suffering. Anyone among you suffering, let them pray. Is anyone cheerful? Some of you say, yeah. Let him sing. If you're, if you're new to church, you're like, why did we sing so much when we got here? Like, did I come to a concert? No, no, no. We sing because we can't help it. We sing because we're cheerful. Verse 14, is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. Listen, if you're sick, our elders, we would love to pray for you. But it's, notice what it said. It said, Call on us. Call on us and we will come. We want to pray over you. Verse 15. Why does all that matter? And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he, if he has committed sins, he'll be forgiven. You're like, that doesn't even square with my theology, but I'll take it. <laughs> Like, you have to repent and believe. Like, pray over them. And if they're sinners, they'll be forgiven. What? Sign me up. So, verse 16, Therefore, 
had a mentor say, anytime there's a therefore, ask what it's there for. Come on, somebody. If you didn't get anything out of church, you got that. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. And pray for one another. Why? So that you may be healed. Listen, you confess your sins to God, 1 John 1, 9, for forgiveness. You confess them to each other for healing. It matters. Because you weren't, you weren't made to bear your burdens alone, including the ones that you created through your sin. In our 21st century United States of American culture, we've tossed that one out because it's embarrassing. And Jesus is just inviting us back. Hey, part of this gig is taking the mask off this year. <laughs> part of being human is not keeping your secrets. Why? Because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Do you believe that redeemed people praying prayers of faith with you, over you, and for you is both powerful and effective as it's Working, Friends, this can change everything about your life. Everything. But it is the invitation for you to step within the altar. Who is the altar? Christ. Jesus. To be within the altar. To be within the Holy of Holies. Is to be with Jesus. Why is confession so powerful? Because every single one of us is a sinner. And you need to know that so are we. Because when you confess your sin, then I can confess my sin. And then we can get rid of all that stuff that Satan wants to be in the way. Why is faith so powerful? Because people actually get healed. Why is singing so powerful? Because it takes people that are in trouble and makes them happy. I'm not suggesting you quit your job. I'm not suggesting you slow down and be a monk. I am suggesting that you daily go within the altar to sing and pray and confess and center and petition and exercise your faith in the quiet place. What a goal for 2024. Let me give you an illustration to bring this back to earth. It's a painting by Rembrandt. It's called Christ in the Storm in the Sea of Galilee. Can you put that up there for me, Jordan? It's pretty small here, but you can, you can look it up if you want. But what I love about this is in this painting, by the way, fun fact, this painting was stolen. Like, who steals a picture of Jesus in the storm? And then he caught, like, what's wrong with you? Anyways, what I love about this photo is every person that Rembrandt painted in here has a different reaction to the storm. And I just encourage you to look this up later and And just in your quiet time. And I think that's just real. Rembrandt even painted himself into this picture. Suggesting that you and I are going to find ourselves in a storm this year. This year, honestly, when you follow Jesus, it might all be a storm. You might be going through a storm right now. There might be one coming tomorrow. You might have just exited one. But the reality is, is we all... Get in the storms of life. But the question is, and the question Rembrandt's asking in the painting is, what will you do 
with the storms of life. What will you do? What will you do when life looks like that? Every one of these people responds differently. What will you do? Will you pray? Will you have the discipline and habit and relationship with Jesus that you will pray? I hope so. Because Jesus is with you. He's present. He's there. He's listening. He's speaking. So we bring this full circle as we get ready to come to the communion table and we go back to that very first quote. You can just leave the picture up there for the rest of the time, Jordan. But we come back to this. Let no one deceive themselves. If anyone is not within the altar, he is deprived of the bread of God. Friends, there is very, very little, maybe nothing you can do this year that matters as much as truly entering into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Either for the first time or for the 365,000th time because we are a very fickle and forgetful people. I don't know about you, but when I think about this year, I think if at the end of the year, if this coming Advent, at the end of this year, I've spent more time in prayer, I think that's a good year. Amen? So what I want to do is, I'm going to invite the band to come back up and just start to play over us. And I'm going to do our communion time just a little bit different today. We've created a little bit of extra time and space for this. I just want to leave you sit there while they play. I want to invite you to do a couple things. I want you to pray. I want you to just take this these first opportunities of 2024 to talk to the Lord about what it is that you want to talk to Him about. What is He doing in your life? Where is He moving? Maybe you need to sit there and listen and and ask God, hey, where do you want me to go this year? What do you want me to do? Where should I be involved? What should I be? And let Him fill in those gaps for you. Let Him answer those questions. That happens when you slow down and you worship and you pray. That's the first thing. And then after a minute or two, a couple minutes, three minutes, I'm going to invite you to come up to one of these sides and get some of the communion elements and then return to your seat and have a seat. And we'll take these elements together as we kind of kick off 2024 as a church family. I want to do that together. But in, but in these first three to five minutes, I just want you to sit there. <laughs> There's no assignment other than to commune with the Lord. You might not get any other chances this week to really have permission to just stop and listen and pray so do that for the next couple minutes and then I'll come back up and we'll file through if you want to beat the rush and just use this chance to stretch your legs and come get your elements you certainly can do that there's no rules to it but uh, take some some time these next few minutes and let's just spend it together with the Lord if you're watching online I should invite you to listen to the music as well and just right where you're at spend time with the Lord. So go ahead and do that for the next few minutes.
as you're sitting there and praying and thinking and holding your elements, I want to just remind you, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 11 that we should examine ourselves as we come to this table. Communion is a celebration of grace. It's a reception of grace. For many, many years, it's been referred to as the sacraments, a means of grace. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that we, do we not participate in the body and blood of Jesus? That there's more going on than meets the eye, and we welcome that. But it also says that it's for people of faith, it's for people that have confessed Jesus as Lord. I just want to invite you, if you are taking communion with us today, to examine the posture of your heart this year. Are you in a posture of confessing Jesus as Lord of your life? Because that's a serious claim. It's a serious confession. It removes lordship, boss status from your heart and mind and puts that on Jesus willingly openly, lovingly, trusting that His way is better than your way. And that sounds good, but living that's often very different. It's difficult to surrender our will and ways to anyone else, let alone one that we trust is good. But man, I just want to invite you to do that in a fresh way this year, that there is no better decision you can make and to surrender to that and to be in prayer this year. It was Jesus Himself that instituted the Lord's Supper, that instituted this remembering of what He did on the cross and through the empty tomb, that we would be doing this in remembrance of Him often. And I just want to share the words of Jesus with you. So if you'll... Just take that wafer in your hand, that bread in your hand, and feel it. Because one of the beauties of the incarnation is that Jesus did come to earth, that He came and put on flesh. He had a body like you have a body. And He walked on this earth and He hugged people and He cried with people and He healed people and He spent time with people. He withdrew from people. He refilled and recharged and prayed and He did all the things that we're inviting each of us to do. And then right before He went to the cross and then to the tomb and then to resurrection and then to the ascension back to the Father where He currently rules and reigns and leaves us as His ambassadors. Just beautiful things. He instituted this sacrament that we partake in right now. And Christians have been doing it for thousands of years. Be reminded that you come in a long line of faithfulness in this building for the last hundred years. And in the church, broadly, for the last two thousand. Jesus said these words in Matthew chapter 26, verse 26. It says, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, just as you're holding it. And after blessing it, broke it. And one of the things we love to do here if you're new to Redeemer is to just hold that up to your ear and break it. Think there's significance as you hear and feel the tearing 
of that bread to know that Jesus loved you and gave his life for you so that you could be free from your sin, that you could be free and in relationship with him. What an amazing God. He broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take and eat. This is my body. And then Jesus took a cup and when he had given thanks, which we've been doing all morning, he said to them, he gave it to them, saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. Amen. What a way to start the new year together. And then Jesus said these powerful words, and it's why we live and move and in Him find our being. He said this words to end it. He said, I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until the day that I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. And so we say, even so come, Lord Jesus, right? We sang that. Even so come. So what I want you to do now is as you just... Rest in all the things we've talked about this morning, sang about. I just want to invite you to stand with me again. We're going to sing some of that song, The Battle Belongs to You, again. Just as a reminder, and now as a declaration, a confession, that we are wholly surrendered to the Lord this year. But we love you. You'll be dismissed after this song. So grateful that you were a part of things today. And I started your new year off with your church family. We love you. Looking forward to a great year uh, walking with the Lord together. Amen? All right, let's sing this out before we leave.